Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is in partnership with the Koran Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone. This is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem. This is our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Last time, we read about the aftermath of Avshalom's death in the failed rebellion against his father, David. Recall that Avshalom was defeated. Yoav killed him against the explicit command of the king. David cried out in mourning and in tears. In the end, he accepted the outcome. His son was dead. David made his way back to Jerusalem supported by his own tribe, Yehuda, even as the other tribes of Israel now threw their support behind the king, Avshalom being dead. Throughout the episode, David showed an acceptance, an embrace, and eventually a courage to overcome, in spite of the fact that he knew in his heart that the responsibility for the tragedy was his, David was able to pick up the pieces and to continue. Some of these sentiments are captured in a chapter from Sefer Tehillim, a short chapter at the beginning of the Book of Psalms that relates directly to the events of Avshalom's rebellion. Psalm 3 reads a Psalm of David when he fled from his son of Shalom. O Lord, my foes are so many, many are those who attack me. Many say of me, there is no deliverance for him through God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, he who holds my head high. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and wake again, for the Lord sustains me. I have no fear of the myriad forces arrayed against me on every side. Rise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God, for you slap all my enemies in the face. You break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance is the Lord's. Your blessing be upon your people, Selah. How incredibly infused is this short chapter with David's faith and trust in God, in spite of all of the obstacles and all of the enemies, David knows that he will prevail. And so it is, even at a moment such as this, with Avshalom dead and the people in disarray, David does not lose his trust in God. Making his way back to Jerusalem, he will now begin the process of rebuilding his kingdom. But suddenly, another event shows itself on the horizon. Chapter 20 reports, There was a base man there whose name was Sheva the son of Bichri, a Benjaminite, who sounded the shofar and proclaimed, We have no portion in David and no possession in Ben-Yishai the son of Jesse. Ish le'ohalav Yisrael, every Israelite, Go to your tent. Essentially, what this is, once again, is a revolt, this time precipitated by the divisions between the tribes of Israel 
who only a short time ago supported Avshalom and the tribe of Yehuda. Those that had supported David when Avshalom died now throw their support behind Sheva, the son of Bichri, but the tribe of Yehuda remains loyal to their king David. David returns to Jerusalem, and in the meantime, he appoints Amasa to raise a force in order to fight the rebel. But the irony is potent. A short time earlier, Amasa had served as Avshalom's chief of staff. After Avshalom had been killed by Yoav, David appointed Amasa in Yoav's place. How strange it must have been now for Amasa, who a short time ago was David's enemy, to now be charged with raising the force that would rescue his kingdom from the revolt of Sheva ben Bichri. David says to Amasa, raise the force, the men of Yehuda, over the next three days and report back to me. But Amasa fails in the mission. We do not know exactly why. The text does not indicate why Amasa fails. Perhaps he had difficulty in convincing the people to fight another battle, this time against Sheva ben Bichri. David now turns to Avishai in desperation. He appoints Avishai as the warrior to lead the force against the rebels. And Avishai quickly heads out, followed by the servants of Yoav and all of the mighty men of David, and eventually we will discover by Yoav himself, although with no official position, since he had been demoted by David. They left Jerusalem to pursue Sheva ben Bichri, they arrived at, at Giv'on, and there they crossed the path of Amasa, and Yoav now appears, sly as always, and takes the opportunity to do the unspeakable. The text reports that on Yoav's body was a sword, and the sword was close against his body, but angled in such a way, such that it could easily fall from its sheath. Yoav approached Amasa, Is there peace with you, my brother? he said to him. And with his right hand, he grasped Amasa's beard as if to kiss him. Amasa did not realize that at the very same time Yoav picked up the sword that had fallen to the ground, he picked it up with his left hand, he stabs Amasa, and with one blow finishes him off. It is a brutal and lethal move. We have seen Yoav do it before, a long time ago, by killing Avner, the chief of staff of Shaul at the beginning of Shimuel Bet. The fighters are shocked to see Amasa dead until his body is removed from the path and covered with some sort of a cloak. 
Only then did the fighters proceed to chase down Sheva ben Bichri and they make their way north, far north, because Sheva ben Bichri had passed through all of the Israelite tribes trying to raise support for the rebellion. Eventually, they get to Avel Beit HaMa'acha in the far north of the kingdom. It is a walled city, and Sheva ben Bichri has walled himself in. Yoav and the men now approach the city walls and prepare to attack by raising a ramp. A wise woman calls out to him, to Yoav, from the city. And speaking to Yoav, she says, Are you Yoav? I am indeed. Listen to the words of your maidservant. Why is it that you seek to destroy a city in Israel? We are at peace with the king, and here you desire to destroy us. Yoav says, God forbid, I will not destroy and I will not bring down. There is a man in your midst called Sheva ben Bichri. Turn him over alone and the city will be spared. The woman said, leave it to me. His head will be thrown over the wall. And sure enough, she approaches the people of the city in her wisdom Sheva ben Bichri is killed, his head is thrown over the wall, Yoav sounds the shofar, and they scatter from the city, each one returning to his home and to his tent, and Yoav in the meantime returns to Jerusalem to the king. So once again, a rebellion is averted violently and lethally, once again, Yoav plays a central role in the events. And of course, we see a parallel between this wise woman and the other wise woman back in chapter 14. Recall that in chapter 14, with Avshalom in exile, Yoav had secured a wise woman from Tekoa, to pronounce a parable to David, and with that parable to convince David to restore of Shalom to Jerusalem. This time, the wise woman speaks to Yoav, and through her wisdom, secures the survival of her city by turning over a rebel by the name of Sheva ben Bichri. So whereas in the first story, it is Yoav who initiates the return of, of Shalom to Jerusalem through the wise woman. Now the wise woman of Avel Beit Ma'acha preserves her city from Yoav's clutches by turning over the rebel. Effectively, what all of this represents is a very large closing of the circle. Chapter 14 introduced us to events associated with the rebellion of Avshalom. It's true Avshalom died in chapter 19, but our chapter with Sheva ben Bichri's rebellion is very much still part of the same cycle, and it's not until Sheva ben Bichri's rebellion is put down that we can actually say 
the chapter of Avshalom's rebellion has been closed. It has been many, many chapters actually since David has been secure. Recall that all of these events happened beginning with chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we read about the rape of Tamar, ultimately by Amnon, that is, the rape of Tamar. And ultimately, Amnon was put to death by Avshalom, Tamar's brother. Ultimately, Avshalom rebelled against David, and that carried us through many of these chapters. Avshalom was now dead, and Sheva ben Bichri picked up the rebellion, and finally, these chapters come to a close. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 28 full chapters devoted to a story of setback and failure, and all of it precipitated by David's bad choices in chapter 11. We might even say, if we were to look at David's career from a bird's eye view, beginning with chapter 1 of the second book of Samuel, the story of David's ascent to the throne with Shaul dead, only half of the material, chapters 1 through 10, really describe David in his glory. The next 10 chapters or so describe David in his infamy and David in his failure. And this, of course, is a profound cautionary tale where the fundamental premise of the material is that we make choices as human beings and sometimes we make good choices and sometimes we make ruinous choices and there are always consequences for us and for those around us. And when we are dealing with people who are leaders of the nation, those choices impact on everyone. David may have made his own personal choice in chapter 11. Little could he possibly have realized what the repercussions of that choice would be. But now we have completed the circle, and it is in many ways the end of David's reign, which is proclaimed by the completion of this section and the end of this rebellion. Chapter 20 concludes with a list of officials who are significant and important in David's court. Yoav was the chief of staff, and here we see that Yoav clearly has been restored to his role even though David had deposed him after the death of Avshalom, now that Amasa is dead, it seems like there is no other candidate as capable as Yoav to be the chief of staff. Benayahu ben Yehoyada was responsible for the Karitites and the Pelitites, and a list of other officials whom we have already met, actually, at the end of chapter 8 of the second book of Samuel. The end of chapter 8 of the second book of Samuel basically describes David in his glory, and this list of officials at the end of chapter 8 is meant to indicate that David's kingdom has stability, 
And for the last 10 chapters, we have been talking about an unstable kingdom. We have been talking about David suffering failure. We have been talking about a kingdom unraveling. And now, finally, after Avshalom's death and Sheva ben Bichri's death, we can say that the stability of the kingdom has been restored and therefore appropriately... We have the list of the officials at the end of chapter 20, much as we had it at the end of chapter 8, in order to indicate that, in fact, the kingdom has been restored to David's hands and he is now firmly in control as he was. And this is perhaps highlighted by the one new name on this list in chapter 20, an individual called Adoram, responsible for the mas, which is to say the tax or the forced labor. It seems as if this new official is calculated to make it crystal clear that David is back and that his kingdom is stable. And what better way to indicate that than by appointing a taxman responsible for emphasizing to the people that the central government, that the king, that the kingdom is in fact strong and capable of taking control. As we leave these chapters behind and embark on the final unit of the book, the concluding chapters, four of them, we are struck by the incredible tragedy that we have read. There have been so many people who have died. There have been so many tragic moments. And it is difficult indeed to complete this material without feeling wistful for happier days. Once again, though, at the center of the drama is the king, is David, and now we have, as it were, a fuller picture of his character and his personality. And what perhaps stands out most is, in spite of all of the challenges and the difficulties, David always maintains his trust and his faith. And it is that trust and that faith that sustains him through thick and thin even as his own son rebels, even as his own sons die, even as his plans come to naught, even as it seems that the world is crashing down on him, David will somehow muster the inner strength to continue. And I say somehow, but really what that means, as I indicated from the reading of the book of Psalms earlier, that strength that David musters always comes from his trust in God. God is his, God is his rock, and God is his anchor, and God is the one who gives David the strength to go on. The book of Samuel doesn't always, doesn't often, in fact, give us that window into David's mind, that profound spiritual strength that he draws upon. And that's why it's so critical 
to read the chapters in Sefer Tehillim in the book of Psalms, which give us that voice, the voice of David's heart and David's mind when he's confronted by difficulty, when he's overwhelmed by troubles, he will always turn to God for solace and for strength. Next time, we're going to continue with the final chapters, the final unit of the book, chapters 21 through 24, and we will study each of them in turn as we attempt to construct some sort of a retrospect of David and his reign. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.